Good morning. One of my favorite lines of all time, of all Christmas songs, is from Joy to the World. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I mean, the curse of sin has found its way into every area of our lives, and Jesus came, he was born, to deal with that problem, to deal with that curse, to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And, and the new covenant that we've been talking about is that blessing that roots out the curse of sin in our lives. And I've been personally deeply stirred by the message of the new, new covenant from Hebrews chapter eight. I've been teaching on it in the times that I've been teaching on Sunday, and I'm gonna continue there this morning. But I'm gonna relate it to the coming of Jesus, and we need to see that. It's vitally important that we see that connection. We've been learning from the book of Hebrews about our new and overwhelmingly better relationship with God that we now have called the New Covenant. In this new covenant, God writes his law or God writes his will upon our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He takes our hearts that were prone to sin and disobey and he puts into our hearts the power and the desire to please him. And then God promises himself to us in a faithful, loving, eternal bond he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. You will be my own possession to love and care for. And then we are given the promise of direct personal knowledge of God or direct personal experience with God. They will all know me from the least to the greatest, and I will give them a heart to know me. And then God makes the stunning promise through the death and blood of Jesus, through the cross of Christ to us that he will not treat us according to our sins and our failures. He says, I will never again remember your sins. These are the four blessings that Jesus came to give us through the new covenant to root out the curse of sin and its effect in our lives. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we must see that Jesus came. He was born to bring us into these blessings. Jesus was born to usher in this new covenant relationship with God. Jesus came to put in place what Hebrews calls this better hope through which we draw near to God. The song, O Holy Night, says that the night Christ was born brought the thrill of hope. And we have a, a sign, which I just love, at the bottom of our stairway to the basement, which says, the th a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And it goes on to say, though, from yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, from yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Well, that new and glorious morn that has broken upon us through the coming of Jesus, through that holy night when he was born, is really the new and better covenant, the new and better blessings of this new covenant. 
The goal of his birth was to bring us into this status of grace and favor with God. He came to blot out our sins, to bring us into intimacy with the Father. He came to bring the fire and the power of the Spirit into our hearts and to make us new people. His birth was the initial act by which God would accomplish all of this for us and of course consummated at the cross and through his blood. But his birth was the initial act by which God would accomplish all of this blessing for us. Christ's birth was announced by the angels as good news of great joy because it made possible this full and complete salvation, this full and complete new covenant relationship with God, this new covenant blessing. And so we celebrate the wonder and the mystery of Christ's birth. But if we do not know why he came, if we do not let these new covenant blessings frame our whole attitude toward life, if our hearts are not touched by, if our hearts are not full of the spiritual riches and privileges that Christ came to give us, then we miss the whole purpose of his coming. And one of the four core blessings of the new covenant in Hebrews 8 is direct personal experience with God. And I borrow that phrase from F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Hebrews. That's his summation of this promise. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And God said in Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. I will be their God and they will be my people. The old relationship with God under the law was more outward, more distant, more remote. But now through the blood of Jesus, we have direct personal knowledge of God. This knowing, this knowing of God is is not yet full or complete, but we have unmistakably come to know God through Jesus. David Platt uh, wrote a blog on this new, new covenant promise from Hebrews 8. He said, what is more important than this? Nothing. So, oh God, we praise you for this privilege of knowing you, of talking to you right now. You're listening to us right now. You know us by name. We know you by name. We speak to you. We can come to you anytime. We have knowledge of you. We have relationship with you. We are known by you. This is breathtaking, O oh God. Thank you for making this privilege possible, Lord Jesus. I love that prayer, and I pray that that we would develop that kind of appreciation of these new covenant blessings. We were praying in the room out back before the service, for the service as we, as we usually do, and as I was praying, I just, I just came to my mind, Lord, open our eyes this morning to see how great and how glorious these blessings are they, because they're things that are unseen. They're not like packages that you're gonna op- that you'd open at Christmas. There's not paper in a box and something inside it They're things that are unseen. They're things that we have to see and realize in our heart. They're just as real. They're more powerfully real even because they dwell inside us. There's something that we can never lose. They're unseen but real. 
but we do need God to open up our hearts to appreciate the privilege of knowing God like David Platt expressed in that prayer. The angel told Joseph that Mary would conceive and bear a son and that he would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus was born into this world for us to be able to live with God, for God to live with us, to bring us near God. But it was not just that we might have God as a force or a power located near us. That's not what Jesus means when when it says Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just that we would have a force or power somehow located near us, but that God would be with us so that we would know him and experience him, so that we would experience his presence and know this personal God that Jesus has brought us near to. Our church sign out front says, real life is knowing and enjoying God. That's really a combination of two verses. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. David in the psalm said, in God's presence or in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. You put those two together and you get something like life, real life, life in its fullest sense as God planned it for you is knowing and enjoying God, knowing and enjoying His presence. A Puritan writer called knowing God the greatest height of blessedness and happiness. Christianity is essentially knowing God. Salvation is to be brought through Christ, through the blood of Christ, to be brought to God, to a life of communion and fellowship with the God who made us. In Galatians 4, 9, Paul addressed believers as those who have come to know God. I love that phrase. But now that you have come to know God. He said, this is a little bit my paraphrase, but now that you have come to know God, and even more importantly, now that you are known by God, how could you possibly go back to a life of living by rules and laws and religious traditions? How could you go back to worldly solutions to your life? Through Jesus, you have come to personally and directly know God and he knows you. And that, that's like this gigantic safeguard of protection that should keep you from turning to anything else I mean, you have it all. You know God and God knows you. Our single greatest need since the Garden of Eden is to know God. Adam and Eve walked and talked freely with God in the garden without guilt and without shame. But through Adam's sin and and then through our own sin, we lost that free and open fellowship with God and we came into the world alienated from God. We came into the world not knowing God. And throughout the Bible, the unsaved are characterized as people who do not know the Lord. Just, that's a phrase that's used over and over throughout Scripture. Paul said, we are not to live like the Gentiles who do not know God. Jesus told the hardened religious people of his day, you do not know me or my Father. Christ came into the world to destroy the barrier of sin. He came into the world to bring us near to God through his blood, 
that we may know God. When you come to Jesus, to use the phrase of Hebrews, when you draw near to God through Jesus, you become alive to God. You wake up, as it were, from the dead. You become aware of this intimacy with God. God is no longer a stranger to you. You sense him and you sense his presence. I remember hearing a testimony of somebody that, that had gotten saved and they were sharing their testimony of their own personal salvation. And they said, the first thing that was different after I came to Jesus was I had this sense of intimacy with God that I'd never had before in my life. God becomes real to you. Jesus said, the world does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Of course, he said that about the Holy Spirit, but, but that is how we know God, through the, through the Spirit of God that is placed within us, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, knowing his Spirit in us and with us. This is not merely knowing facts or information about God, although that is really important, but it is knowing God personally. Alexander McLaren, uh, an old Scottish Bible expositor from the 1800s, who, by the way, was actually quite famous. He was friends of Spurgeon. Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. Alexander McLaren was known as the Prince of Expositors. And he said about this verse from Hebrews, about this new covenant promise, he said, God is a person, and to know him does not mean to understand about him, but to be on speaking terms with him, to have a familiar acquaintance with him. And this is a capacity that is given to us under the new covenant through Jesus. Just as the Holy Spirit writes the will of God in our hearts, the Holy Spirit also illuminates our minds to know God. Jesus was born into this world to accomplish this purpose to bring people like you and I that were far from God, alienated from God, people who did not know God, and to bring us into a status of favor and grace and blessing, and above all, the blessing of knowing God, knowing Him as our Father. The Bible presents knowing God as the greatest blessing you can have in life. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. If you want to brag about something, I mean, if you want to have something you're really proud of, it's knowing God. Forget about, you know, your super intelligence, your academic credentials, or your uh, powers of persuasion in this world, or the importance of some earthly job or uh, career uh, position, or of your wealth or riches or possessions. No, the thing to seek after, the thing even to boast about would be that you know the Lord. And we can do that through Jesus. David said, knowing God and his loving kindness 
was better than life itself. I will bless you as long as I live. I mean, this was not just a theological point or an academic understanding, this knowing God and knowing his loving kindness was so precious to him that he said, it's better than life itself. He says, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul is satisfied as with the richest of foods. With joyful lips, my mouth will praise you. He said that about knowing God and knowing his love. To know God and his love is is an unspeakably wonderful gift. And the amazing thing is that this capacity to know God comes from God himself. God himself promises they shall know me. All who draw near to me through Jesus shall know me. This new covenant promise is not first a command for you to work at knowing God. It is a promise to believe and to receive that you will know God. So often when we talk about knowing God, we are exhorted to read more, pray more, seek him more, basically do more things to get to know God. And all of those things have an important place and they're good and they're needed in a certain perspective. But they are not the starting point of knowing God. They are not how we come to know God. In fact, without the Lord giving us this capacity to know God, those things will not work. And they may even be a roadblock to true knowledge of God. Knowing God starts with God. It starts with God doing something in our hearts. God said, I will give them a heart to know me. Some translations of that verse from Jeremiah 24, 7 says, I will give them the ability, another one says, or the desire to know me. But without this work of God, people do not know God, people cannot find God, and are in a sense completely asleep to God. John Calvin said, knowing God is a wisdom which far surpasses man's understanding. No one is able to attain it except through the secret revelation of the Spirit. So when we come to God through Jesus, when we come to God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts and the Spirit connects us to God in this intimate father-son relationship and God does that. God himself infuses your heart with a secret, intuitive, direct knowing of God. This knowing God is a miraculous blessing that is bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. Of course, we do grow in it, but first, we must understand that this is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of God that we believe for, that we receive through Jesus Christ. Second, this direct revelation of the Spirit eliminates a second-hand kind of experience with God. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. This personal experience of knowing God is so generously given to all who draw near to God through Jesus that we are not dependent on other people to tell us what it is like 
to know God as if we did not know him ourselves. This does not mean we do not need teachers. It does not mean that we do not need each other. But there is no special group of people who have this direct knowledge of God that we have to go to that group or that group has to come to us to give us this knowledge. For they shall all know me. And it says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Everyone who draws near to God through Jesus will find God and know God. Every man, every woman, every young person can know God. Children can know God. People of great intellect can know God. People with lesser intellect can know God, thankfully. Great people can know God. Ordinary people can know God. Old people, young people, everybody, men, women, all who look to Jesus are given this new covenant, personal blessing of intimate knowledge of God. Through Jesus, our alienation from God is swept away in the Holy Spirit, our teacher, is granted to all of us. Again, to quote Alexander McLaren, he said, in old days there had been some direct communication with God with a chosen few, and they spoke the things they had heard of God to the multitude who had no such communication. My text says that all this was swept away and the prerogative of every Christian is direct access to and communication with and instruction from God himself. Now, could some people distort this into some kind of dangerous teaching? Of course. But there is also perhaps an even greater danger of not believing this and not walking in the wonder and the glory and the joy and the full experience of this. There's a danger of not walking in this glory of personally knowing God and knowing that you know him and enjoying him and enjoying knowing him and his presence. The Apostle John said this direct teaching of the Spirit in our hearts is actually a safeguard against being deceived by false or strange teaching. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. 1 John 2, 26 through 27. That basically says that this, this revelation of God, this knowing of God, this direct teaching ministry of the Spirit in our hearts actually acts as a safeguard to keep us in Jesus because it is always te- the true ministry and teaching and revelation of the Spirit in us is always teaching us to remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. And you will not get off track. You won't get off into error. You, won't, you don't have to listen to those other guys because you have anointing and it teaches you about all things. The Bible also gives us clear outward signs that we know God. 
and guards against anyone abusing this blessing of knowing God or making false claims about it. 1 John 3, 6, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. In other words, it's impossible to know God and to not be impacted profoundly by it. And the one who just continues to live a life of sin, John says, hasn't seen God or known him. First John 4, 7, love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. First John 2, 3 through 6, now by this we know that we know him. I love that. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. These are guidelines of scripture that, that keep us on track with this genuine, personal, inward, direct, spiritual knowledge that we have of God. And then one more uh, from Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. I can't set, take time to set the whole context for it, but that verse says, by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. You know, when we know God, it affects us. It changes us. When we know God, we trust God. We, we find strength in God and we act out of confidence in God. And again, I come back to where I started at the beginning. The birth of Jesus is not detached from any of this. The birth of Jesus is the initial act by which God initiated this process of his life and ministry and teaching and death and burial and resurrection, ultimately resulting in these new covenant blessings being poured out on us, the blessings flowing to us as far and as deep as the curse is found and bringing salvation and healing and recovery from all that sin, all this that sin has damaged, uh, all the ways that sin has damaged our lives. All right, I want to wrap up with some applications this morning. First, we should give thanks for this blessing. We should be people just overflowing with gratitude. And maybe first we just need to open up, ask our God to open up our hearts to see the wonder of what he's given us, the wonderful privilege of, of knowing God. But we should, we should give thanks. I mean, that's something we can give thanks to God. Every time we pray, we can just thank God that we can communicate with him, that we can talk to him, that we can know him, that we can have relationship with him, that he knows us. We just thank him for this gift of communion or fellowship with God. We don't wake up in the morning and have to struggle or work our way to God. Sometimes we feel like we do, but we need to proclaim the gospel to ourselves and realize that Jesus Christ has opened up God to us. Jesus made the Father accessible to us immediately, all the time. We're not, as to paraphrase Romans 10, we're not struggling to bring God down from heaven 
or we're not struggling to bring him up from somewhere. We're not struggling to find him. God, the word is very near. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's Jesus. At the name of Jesus, the Father is near. At the name of Jesus, heaven is near. We know him and he knows us. Christ has opened up God to us through his perfect and permanent intercession for us. And so we give thanks. And I think this is where it has to start. Some of us probably, maybe not all of us, but there's probably some of us that just, we need to just start by relax, okay? I know you wanna know God. Just relax and receive and believe this new covenant promise blessing and begin to be amazed at it, to, to be stunned by it, to just wonder at the amazing work of God that he would send his spirit into your heart to give you this father-son relationship, connection, knowledge of one another. Secondly, once we realize that we know God and we realize this promise and begin to enjoy it and thank God for it, we should just give ourselves more and more to knowing God. Knowing God becomes the joy and the purpose of our life. Paul knew Jesus, yet decades after he first came to know him, he still said, oh, that I may know him better. Oh, that I may know him more. Oh, that I may know the power of his, of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And in Ephesians chapter one, Paul said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's the NIV translation of that. I think the ESV and New American Standard are give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him or in the knowledge of God that you may know him better. It took a work of God for you to know him at all. Did you know that? It took a work of God in your heart for you to know him at all, and it takes a work of God for you to increase in your knowledge of him. So this is really, really a good prayer that Paul prayed here for the church. And it's really, really a good prayer for you to pray for yourself. And it's really, really a good prayer for us to pray for each other. Third, do not be content, and related to the second one really, but do not be content with living a life that is not zeroed in on knowing God. Understanding how central that is to your life purpose and how central it is to the needs of your heart and your soul. Do not live a life that is not zeroed in on knowing God. Do not be content with religious or even Christian activities that are not mainly about knowing God and helping you to know him better. And let's not be content with church without knowing him and knowing him more. I mean, that's real, my passion is when we, when we gather, I mean, we worship, we sing songs, we hear the word proclaimed, but all of this is to result for us to experience this joy-filled connection with God, this experience of knowing God in his presence to the, to the point like David that we, we can just say, wow, I will lift up my hands to you. My lips will praise you. Nothing is better in life than knowing you and knowing your loving kindness. That's what church is all about, really to lead us into that kind of relationship with the Father and to know him in that way, to experience 
him in that way. And then fourth, and this is gonna sound repetitive, but as I've been saying in the messages that I've talked on the new covenant, saturate your mind and your heart with these glories of the new covenant. Saturate your mind and heart with these blessings that Jesus came to give you. We should know the blessings of the gospel, so to speak. We should know the blessings that have come to us through Jesus, through the cross. We should know the blessings, in other words, of the new covenant. We should know these blessings backwards and forwards. They should saturate our hearts and our thinking. They should form or frame our entire outlook on life. And we should just live in them. You know, I love Pam's statement, it's not what you know, it's what you walk in. It's what you live in. And we're to live in these blessings of the new covenant. So, you know, make them personal. God has written his laws on my heart through Jesus. Through his spirit, by his spirit, God has written his laws on my heart. I want to do his will. My one ambition in life is to please the Lord. And that's because of a work of God's spirit in me. Not because of me, it's because of a work of God's spirit in you. Two, God has committed himself to me. You can say that, God has committed himself to me. He has said to me, I will be your God. God belongs to me and I belong to him. Third, God has given me direct knowledge of him through his Holy Spirit. Through the work of the cross, God has cleansed me of my sins or from my sins. He's sent his spirit into me and I have come to know him. For God promises mercy toward me and my sins and failures and he promises to never remember my sins again. Let your heart be full of these blessings and privileges. And as, as you go through this Christmas season, in, you know, enjoy everything about the nativity scenes, the birth of Jesus, all the wonder and the mystery of that. But do not forget the end goal for which Christ came. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He came to bring you into this status of grace and favor and blessing with God. All right, let's stand and we're gonna close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this stupendous, marvelous blessing that you've given us the gift of knowing you, that you've somehow enabled people like us who were far from you, alienated from you, people who did not know you and you've enabled us to know you through a marvelous gift of pouring your spirit into us to give us this connection of our heart to you and to enable us to say that we have come to know you. We have come to know God. And Lord, we just declare that knowing you brings an inward joy and a pleasure and a satisfaction into our hearts and our souls like nothing else we've ever experienced. It makes us hunger to know you more. Everything that we've ever longed for, we find in your presence and in knowing you. So God, to know you and to know you more 
And to know your presence more is the desire of our hearts. It's the passion of our lives, God. It's our, it's the one thing. As David said, this one thing will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. And God, we, we ask you, we ask you as a people, and, and I, I invite every, every single one of you to express this in your own spirit and heart directly to God. God, we ask you to increase our knowledge and our awareness of you and our intimacy with you. We, we cry out, we ask you, God, for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowing you, that we may know you more and more and more fully, God. Give us this precious gift, this Christmas. This is the gift we ask for. Wisdom and revelation in knowing you. God, make that, make that present, the most real present ever to us, God. God, I pray for young people in our, in our church family that maybe just have not yet really awakened to, to this. God, I ask you to stir in their hearts and move them to come to you through Jesus and to, and to find the, the beauty and the wonder and the depth, the glory, the satisfaction of knowing you. God, I pray for older people, for people in every situation in life, those that are, who are doing very well. Everything's just working out great for them. And for those who are in the deepest of need this morning, God, we, I ask you, to open up their hearts to know you and to enjoy knowing you. Lord, for, for every one of us to count this our, our, our greatest blessing in life. God, and perhaps there's someone here this morning that has, has never, never ever really truly come to you through Jesus in, in, in seeking to be saved and calling out to you for the salvation of their soul. And God, I pray that you would, you, that you would work, that you'd bring conviction and the work of your spirit to bring that person to their knees and, and to come to humble themselves at the foot of the cross and to be saved right here even this morning. And we pray these, all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.